All hail, all hail the power of Jesus' name. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Could you feel the exaltation in that? You know, one of the ways we talk about the culmination of this is that the elders are going to cast down their crowns. And that symbolizes one thing. That symbolizes no matter what it is I think I did, no matter what obediences I entered into in my life, no matter what miracles, no matter what wonders, no matter what good works I did, at the end of the day, it was only made possible because the Lamb that was slain overcame. The Lamb that was slain overcame. And so we say, all hail, all hail the power of Jesus' name. All hail, all hail. Well, welcome, welcome this morning to Spruce Grove Community Church. We here believe that God is looking for worshipers. And worship isn't just singing the correct songs. It's not about just saying the name of Jesus and lifting your hands. It's about giving the credit to the one who's worthy of it. Psalms 29 says, give him the glory due his name. And so we're trying to do that today. We're trying to honor him to say, I owe everything to you. And so if you're visiting today, we want you to Be caught up, be refreshed by the presence of God because as we worship, as we truly give credit to the one who is due credit, he responds from heaven with his presence. There's something about worship that draws God. It creates a a place for him to dwell. And so we invite you to give him the glory due his name. And as we do that this morning... I believe that breakthroughs are going to happen. I believe that headaches are going to disappear. I believe that uh, generational iniquity is going to be eroded and broken. I believe that heaviness and oppression and discouragement is going to lift off of your shoulders. As you lift up your voice, as you declare his name, as you give him glory... He will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Come on, let's worship him. There's so many things that we can speak into right now, but hope restored is one of them. We have just come out in the nation of Canada from a 10-year slumber. My friend Rob Parker, Bertha, Canadian House of Prayer in Ottawa, who just moved to Airdrie, He said, I've been in a seven-year maintenance mode. I've been in kind of limp mode for seven years. And he he said he just recently discovered that. He didn't know what it was. But here's the thing. Your destiny is tied to the destiny of every other believer in this land. And what they do on the other side of the, the nation affects us right here. And what happens in B.C. affects us. What we do here affects what happens down south in Alberta. But the beautiful thing that unites it all is we are under one banner. And here's, a, here's another comforting fact. We don't have a clue. 
We don't have to figure it out. We don't have to know exactly where we're going because he who began a good thing in you is going to complete it. He's going to complete it. He's going to complete it. Now, when I came in this morning, I I remember this strange dream that my mom told me. She didn't have it. A friend of hers had it. And she was in this huge warehouse. And there was these old, ancient, medieval racks, you know, torture racks. (laughs) And and she was tied to one of these beds. And, you know, your ankles are strapped and your legs are strapped. And she is being pulled and pulled and pulled. And she feels like she's being torn apart, you know. And then my mom comes in. She's all happy in the dream. She comes up, said, oh, Melody, you're on the stretch rack. How many of you feel like you've been on the stretch rack? You're there not because you know what the outcome needs to be, but because he knows. And he would never put you there unless you needed to be there. And he would never put you there unless there's purpose. We are not being victimized by an enemy that's creeping around and we don't know what's happening. We, we are a part of an agenda much higher than what the enemy has determined for our lives. And, and faith will either put your confidence in what the enemy is doing against you or your confidence in what God is doing through what the enemy thinks he's doing. So we can safely say, take your best shot because I am a son of the Most High. And whatever's happening in the context of my life is to bring me into a fullness, into a realization of my destiny as a child of the King. And I don't know what that even looks like. I'm just trying to be obedient and trying to catch up and and trying to understand and grow in wisdom and knowledge along the way. But we're here today, and God is saying, have hope for your nation. And right now we say, Father, for this nation of Canada, we have hope. (sighs) That we were born in such a time as this, for such a purpose as this, to see your glory come to this nation. So, Lord, let your kingdom come in Canada. So be refreshed today by the knowledge that you're not out there singularly walking a walk, trying to make your way in the world, but there is a a divine purpose that hovers over your life. And it doesn't mean all all your decisions are the right ones, but God is bigger than your bad decisions. God is bigger than all of your weaknesses. God is bigger than all of your failures. God is bigger. And through weakness, strength is being perfected. So have hope. So, Father, we say today, we give you glory. And we remember the words, Lord, of that Moravian man who was selling himself into slavery to reach the slaves, the black slaves in the Caribbean. As they were leaving the shores of their home, waving to their family, whom they knew they would never see again, they said this, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward, the reward of his sacrifice. 
We stand here today. We say, Lord, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of a sacrifice. Our lives fully resigned to him. Can you say amen? So good to be back. While I'm up here, I'll just share a little bit about where I just came from. Wendy and I just came from a delightful vacation. There were 12 days in North Carolina and South Carolina. 90% of it was, uh, was actually a vacation. And the last little part was part vacation, part ministering to some friends and being with them in, from Guatemala. But, but right after I came back, uh, the next morning I flew to Prince George because we just had a gathering in Prince George. Our friend John Lowndes, you remember John Lowndes, John Elijah? So the Lord has, you know, put it in his heart to do some events, not global gatherings, um, but regional gatherings in B.C. And so they had one in Abbotsford a few months ago, and then they had this one in Prince George. They had uh, almost 300 people there from all across the north. They probably had about 50 or so. Pastor Gideon was there from the south and May, probably, I think, about 30 of them from Church Zion in Vancouver, which was great. And, um, and the, we had some of us from Alberta. Everybody... From Alberta, that was there. Stand up, okay. Me and Jim. Oh, oh, Marie's standing up in the back. Yeah, behind the soundboard. Henry was there, and Gaylene was there. So anyway, we had a small representation, but it, it was great, and it reminded me of just just some significant truths that God is establishing in our hearts. And uh, I don't want to say too much about it, but one of the delightful things was to see the dynamic of kingdom events being birthed out of intercession. Yesterday morning, we had the most astounding manifestation of the grace of God that was just, it was just amazing. And it came out of Bethlehem, so to speak. When I say Bethlehem, is because, uh, you know, Bethlehem is the smallest of places, a little town of Bethlehem. God loves to do things out of obscure beginnings, and, uh, in fact, the more obscure the beginning, the more glory it gives him. So if you feel like your, wife, your life is a wreck, then, <laughs> then you are God's Bethlehem. And God say, look, watch what I can do in the destruction and the dust of your life. I'm going to plant a seed of the kingdom of God and can bring something that will make the world marvel. And that's the glory of God, and that's the way he likes to do things. And so... Uh, just so happened that, that we were discerning as a leadership team, and you know what? We didn't actually get a lot of discernment. And the, the plan was that Caleb Chu was going to maybe share something about the family of God in the morning session. And, um, and so we, we went up to the meeting, and right at the beginning, right before the worship, we, we did a couple of protocol things, and um, one of the couples said, hey, they're in prayer, there was some First Nations people from the north, and they sang this song, in their in their language, and it was like it was so rich. It was like it was the the sound of the earth. Their language is like the sound of the earth, the sound of this region. So we just feel maybe they should sing it. Well, you know what? They they weren't singers. So it was a wreck, in the natural. Like there was nothing beautiful about it. But there's always two things going on. And sometimes our eyes are so focused on the natural, we can miss what's transpiring in the spiritual. Because most churches would not have called these people forward and asked them to sing. Because it was a little painful on the ears. But this is not a show. 
This is not a performance. We are trying. Everything we're doing, we're trying to reach into the spirit realm to bring things that are born of God into this world. And just like God chose Abraham, God chooses, chooses the weak things to confound the wise. Anyway, as soon as they stood up, I knew. Well, here's, here's a funny thing. So the guy comes over to John and said, you know, can we do this? He said, well, how long will it take? Oh, just a second. But if you've ever been to a gathering, when something emerges that's born of the Spirit, it takes the agenda of the whole morning. So an hour and a half later, <laughs> we were still going. The band standing up there, you know, with all their instruments waiting to do worship. We never even did one song because God overruled and did something because people were less concerned about the show, less concerned about the presentation, and more aware of what was just hiding slightly beyond the veil. Jesus said, whatsoever is born of spirit is spirit. And another time he said, the words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So uh, we, are, we are growing in our ability to establish the kingdom. But I'm telling you, it always comes out of what's ignoble. It always comes out of what is misunderstood. It always comes out of what is weak. It always comes out of what is not, does not appear to be wisdom in the eyes of men. And so if you find yourself in any way in that category, rejoice. Hallelujah. Anybody in that category? Anybody feel like, I don't know if God could use me? God can use you. All right, so we, we did end up going to Prince George. By the way, the drive to Prince George, if you haven't done it, is stunningly beautiful. And at this time of year, oh my goodness, where the fall colors are starting to come in and whatever. I, I think Gaylene was practically in tears on the way home just looking as we were going through Mount Robson Park and, and whatever. So just got to say, you know, there are reasons to go to Prince George just even beyond. Anyway, um, there were so many things, and some would take context explanation, and I don't want to do that this morning. But what I can say is, is there is such a call towards sonship. And where I say sonship, think in terms of daughtership as well, although that's not really a word. Um, and we've seen it again and again in the, in the last few gathering kinds of things, even in the battle for Canada. Uh, some of these things, there's such a call towards breaking free of this idea that we're somehow orphans, that, we're, that we don't know where we belong, we don't know where we fit, um, we don't know who we are and what our identity is. And such a call, such a, a thing the Holy Spirit is doing to sort of mend that up in people's hearts and to say, look, you know, you are my child. That, that makes you an heir. That makes you a son or a daughter. In Scripture, remember the, 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 time, the, the thing where Elijah and Elisha, uh, they're going, and Elijah knows that he's going to be taken up. He's going to go be with the Father. He's not actually, he didn't even have to die. He just got taken to heaven in a chariot of fire. And Elisha says to him, the one thing I would ask from you before you go is if I could have a 
double portion of your anointing. Now, double portion, everybody thinks that's twice as much as he had. That's that silliness. How can you give somebody twice as much as what you have? You can't. Double portion doesn't mean that. What it meant is, can I be your firstborn son, your heir? Because the firstborn son, the heir, received a double portion of the inheritance. So what he's asking is, can I be your firstborn son? And Elijah says to him, if you see me taken up, then yes. And what do you see? You see that Elisha goes across the river with him, and he does see him caught up. And what does he holler? He yells, my father, my father. And what he's really yelling is, I'm your son. I'm your son. And there was such a cry uh, uh, from everybody. It started, uh, again, there was such a cry from the First Nations community that were there. There were so many First Nations folks at the gathering. It was fabulous to see. But again, this thing of we absolutely belong. We're absolutely part of your family. And we are sons and daughters, heirs of your kingdom. And so, you know, if nothing else, and there were, there were lots of things. Art Lucier spoke uh, on the Thursday night. It was incredible. He, he gave sort of a prophetic vision. Some, some real dark stuff in there as well. And yet it was received so well. Hey? I mean, it's something I don't think he could have done in an audience of 300 people uh, a couple years ago. I just think people would have just shut him out. And yet here it, it was such reception and stuff. So many, many things. But one thing to leave with you is we are sons and daughters of the king. We are part of his family. And we absolutely belong in our identity is as his kids. Amen. 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 Yeah, it was, uh, it was a great event. And... Um, I have to apologize because I get to go to these things all the time, and and when I go, after I get there, I realize, oh, I wish more of our people were here, <laughs> because I think this is so good, and it helps establish some things that we're we're after as as a family, uh, because they they are kingdom things, they are universal kingdom. Is is there any way to get rid of that ring? Is that me? Is that us? Is that something on the stage? Um, so there are things that unfold there and become so clear there. It's kind of like, you know, if you get around a couple of high-level businessmen and the conversations they're going to have in the context of their experience, their knowledge, their insights. So it was a great event. Wendy and I flew home on Wednesday night. And then I flew out Thursday morning to, to Prince George to be there for this event. And, um, and it was just, it's just delightful. And just so you know, one of the things we're trying to do is to do an Alberta version of this as well. In fact, years and years ago, as we walked through the gatherings, we, you know, David Demon had this vision. And in the vision, he saw the nation of Canada and this umbrella that stretched over the nation, this covering over the nation. And so he felt immediately, well, this is what we were. There was, a, there was an, a group of spiritual fathers and mothers that were coming together from across the country and standing in the gap, standing before the Lord and petitioning God for the destiny of Canada to be fulfilled and protecting what God was wanting to do in the nation and for the destiny of Canada relative to the kingdom of God. 
so he knew that that's what it was. But then suddenly he, he, he said he like he uh, tele, telescoped, you know, in, and he comes in. And all of a sudden he realized that that larger canopy is a larger canopy, but it's actually made up of smaller provincial canopies. And then again he telescoped in and realized that the provincial canopies were made up of regional canopies and so on and so forth. And so, you know, we've had these national events and it's created relationships, it's created uh, dynamics that have unified us as a nation in many ways. Now, it's not exclusive, it's not the only thing that's happening and not everybody has been a part of it, but significant numbers of people from across the country have been a part of these over the years and many of you have been there and been a part of these. But... um, uh, but what what happened is when that thing, you know, when we had some problems and it and it it broke, the low, the regional and provincial canopies were not there to take up the slack, and so uh, and so the sense is that others need to rise up in their regions and begin to create relationships and bodies of people walking together on regional levels, provincial levels, and so we're praying. In fact, we got a conference call tomorrow. So pray that God give us wisdom about when to do this in Alberta, who to be in, who who to uh, pull in, and and uh, hopefully everybody in our church will be a part of that because it won't be it won't be very far. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Maybe we'll have it right here. No, we can't have it right here. This is not big enough. It's not not going to be near big enough because if you guys all come, which I know you want to, you know there'll be no room hardly for anybody else. Anyway, so. Um, just to, just to say, uh, it, it's a delight to do that. And part of what's happening there is we're leaning into the things that, that uh, Jim just talked about in terms of trying to discover, okay, God, what, what, is, what are the keys that are going to release the kingdom? What are the, what are the things that we're not fully walking in that we need to walk in that are going to cause the power of God to be evident to the world around us? I mean, we're here presumably either because you, you want God or you know God or you want more of God or something along that line. So you know on some level or you believe on some level that there's something available for you. And we are believing that there's something available for us in this time that will cause the nations to love Jesus. You know, the, Jesus is described, I think it's in Daniel, as the desire of all nations. He is the desire of all nations, and, and yet he's repudiated and hated and, 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 uh, and ignored largely. So why is that? It's ultimately not because there's anything wrong with him, but those who are called to manifest him are manifesting versions of him that are several generations less than that thing that he is. But what's happening is there's a convergence in time where a people are going to realize who he really is. And as they see him for who he is, they will become who they are meant to be. And then suddenly the glory of who he is and what the kingdom of heaven is about will begin to be clear. And when it's fully realized, then he will be the desire of all nations. They will come running to the doors. And so that's why our posture is never bad world. Even though the world is evil and there's sin out there, it's, when, the fault does not lie with the world, all right? The fault lies with those who are called to manifest Him. And so we're, we're learning 
to manifest him more. Because the responsibility is on us collectively to do that. The responsibility is upon you to, to be a witness of him where you live, where you work, you know, at your job, in your family, in your neighborhood, in whatever you're, in every degree. And we're getting better and better at it. So we don't feel condemned if we're less good than we, we, we know we ought to be. We're just leaning in more because, because, and we have comfort because we already know we don't have a clue, right? We already know our knowledge is imperfect. It is incomplete. And we can rest in that reality without making it, you know, have a self-pity party. God knows you don't know. He knows your frame and he knows that you are dust. So, Father, today I pray, God, that you would open our eyes again to uh, more of the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of godliness, the mystery of the fellowship that you have prepared us for, that, God, you might be able to draw nearer to us as we draw nearer to you. So, Father, I pray that blind eyes would open. I pray that deaf ears would open. I pray that you would enlighten our understanding, that you would give us a spirit of wisdom in the knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to read a passage here from Galatians 4, and then I'm going to talk about some things uh, that, that may verge on a mystery. And uh, I can't guarantee I'm going to bring you full clarity, but we'll hope, hopefully we'll poke a few holes in the veil. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. So I don't hear the sound of the shuffling of pages. I think Apple phones should, you know, make a, a sound. A sound that, you know, so that we know that, <laughs> that our digital books are being opened. Yes. All right, so Galatians 4. Now, before I read this, this is one of those sections. I remember particularly I found this with the book of James. When I re- used to read the book of James, it seemed like every two verses he was talking about a different thing. And so I'd read the book of James and I think, you know, he's kind of a lot of rabbit trails here, you know, a lot of disconnected thoughts. And, but as I meditated and studied and, and read it again and again and God began to show me the backdrop, I, I started to connect the dots. I realized... Oh, these actually aren't separate things. These are a complete continuum from start to finish. These are all related. And so as I'm, as I'm uh, reading this, I want you to know the same thing, that the writer, Paul, of Galatians, he, he wasn't schizophrenic, okay? He, he wasn't uh, confused about what he was writing. Now, he pulls on certain strings of of, of understanding of culture, Jewish culture, Old Testament reality. And to really understand it, you have to, you know, it's better to have a comprehension of some of these. But he's not writing it for no reason. You know, sometimes when you read the Bible, you read through and, and there's something you understand, like don't steal. Oh, oh, yeah, okay, I understand that. But then he goes into something that's like, I'm not sure what that means. So then you end up actually in your mind, you skip over the sections you don't understand and you always land on the parts that you do understand. And it's like, uh, blah, 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 blah. Ah. And, and over time, God starts to fill in the blanks for you. And you start to realize, wow, there was purpose in that. <laughs> 
Let me tell you, there was purpose in every verse. These guys were writing letters to real people who were going to read them. You know, and they weren't writing gobbledygook. Just a hey, look how brilliant I am. Here, a bunch of things you won't understand. Just to know I am superior. <laughs> they, don't, they weren't doing that. They were actually writing things they understood. In fact, John, in beginning of 1 John, said, that which we have seen, that which we have handled concerning the word of life, we, we, we bring to you. So, uh, let me read. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again, Hmm, interesting. For whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. You you had to do it twice? Hmm. I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone. For I have doubts about you. Well, that doesn't sound very nice. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by the bondwoman and the other by the free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through the promise, which things are symbolic. So now he's, he's going to describe the symbolism and what, it, what it's about. For these are the two covenants, the one of Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. <laughs> There's a lot of dynamics here, okay. Well, I'm already lost. Like, <laughs> it, it's too, is it a covenant or a mountain? And uh, how is the mountain giving birth <laughs> to slavery? And why is its name Hagar? <laughs> For this is Hagar, is Mount Sinai in Arabia and re- corresponds... To Jerusalem, okay, great, another name, another city. To Jerusalem, which is now is, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. Oh, another Jerusalem, okay. Which is the mother? Oh, she's our mother. Can you see how this might be confusing? For it is written, rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout. You who are not in labor, for, des- for the desolate has more children than who has the husband, than she who has a husband. (laughs) What the heck? (laughs) Keep in mind, he knew exactly where he was going. Now, he brought in language that he understood and most Jews would have understood. But the meaning he applied to it Nobody else would have understood at the time. Certainly not the ones he was writing to. In fact, I mean, arguably, if you, if you go to some of the writings of some of the other guys, you know, Peter and John and, and the Gospels, you know, the things that Paul seemed to understand and reference and pull in, nobody else seemed to talk about. Uh, occasionally, you run across stuff that, oh, see, you see, Peter made some, you know, connections to this and that, but there was a wisdom and an understanding and a a connecting of dots that Paul did that the others didn't seem to understand. So what is he talking about? Now, I'm not going to go through this and explain every word to you and make it all clear, because I can't. And probably if I tried to, I would lose Gord halfway through the morning. So, because Gord gets hungry. If you see him get restless, give him a sandwich. 
Actually, a few years ago, Gord had an idea. He said, maybe wait halfway through the sandwich, we could maybe pass some plates along with some snacks or something. <laughs> I thought, that might be a, not a bad idea, except we've got these newer chairs, and we don't want them to get any more soiled than they are. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we are family, right? We are family. So, so what is he talking about? Everything that Paul's writing about ties into some of the foundation stones of the kingdom of God. What he's alluding to is one of the key foundation stones of the kingdom of God. And it's, there's, there's two analogies I want to bring to you, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. And the one from the Old Testament is a scripture from Jeremiah where, where, where Jeremiah is rebuking the nation of Israel and says, listen, you are drinking from broken cisterns rather than drinking from the pure river of life. So you, that you have a pure stream that you could be drinking from, and instead you're drinking from broken cisterns. And the application he brings in, around this is simply this. He says, he says, cursed is the man who depends on man and makes flesh his strength. I want you to keep that in mind. This is the ultimate uh, dichotomy of the kingdom of God, is that there are two sources of strength. And I've said this over and over, and I will continue to say it, because in the same way the early church was already being beguiled, and this is what Paul is talking about. He said, listen, you guys began in the spirit. How is it you think you're going to be perfected by the strength? In other words, you were. this whole thing began drinking out of one source of power, and now you're going back to a lesser source of power, one that is, your, is not meant to be your source. That is the dichotomy of our entire life. Okay? And um, now, man, there's, there's so many things here. Pray for me. Try and keep this together. But this is what it says in verse, I don't have the verses here, but somewhere around verse 21. <laughs> it says, but he who was of the bomb woman was born according to the flesh, and he that was of the free woman, free woman according to the promise, which things are symbolic. Now, I, didn't, uh, I don't think it's in this part, but in another spot, uh, it says that the, the child that's born of the bondwoman will always persecute the child born of the promise. Okay. And that's, that's the thing we want to talk about today. There is always a war and a tension between that which is born of God and that which is born of man. So we think about the Jeremiah analogy, that, that there are things that come from the strength of man. And right from the beginning, this is what the curse was. The curse was... Because you ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, from this time forward, anything you do will only be done in the sweat of your brow. That is the curse. In other words, you are now in slavery. You are no longer, uh, you are now orphans. You are no longer sons and walking under the kingdom of heaven. You don't have access to what you had before. That's why you have to be born again. And what born again is to get reconnected to the source of power. So what happens is, and he's alluding to a story that we should, we should know, we should know really well, that 
that Abraham was given a promise. Abraham and his wife, what was her name again? Good job. I pretended like I was testing you, but I couldn't remember. <laughs> so, Abraham and Sarah are given a promise, right? That they're going to have a son. And it doesn't happen. And a year passes and it doesn't happen. And another year passes, it doesn't happen. Eventually, they're getting old. And other people their age, uh, they have kids. They have grandkids now. And Sarah and Abraham still don't have a child. So then one of them comes up with a brilliant idea. God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> Where's that in the Bible, right? You know, maybe if they were New Testament, you know, faith without works is dead. You know, there's a, always a justification for doing something in the, in the flesh. There's always a justification for doing something in your own strength. And it is an enigmatic kind of a thing. It, it's not so clear for us what things we're doing that are born in the flesh and what things are born in the spirit. But Paul is saying, listen, this, this, this dichotomy of two kingdoms, two power sources, two contrasting, opposing forces is the central conflict around the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light are being born out. Like this, this is the story of history. And what God is called, what God is looking for is a people who do not make flesh their strength. So, you've got, now, you think, well, yeah, but we're all, we're all Christians here. We all believe, you know, that God is our strength. Not exactly. We all want God to be our strength. But the reality of iniquity, the reality of our fallen state that we are coming out of it is we are learning to believe more and more. And in Romans it says, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So we are in this this dynamic where we're trying to stop drinking from this fountain and drink more and more from this fountain. But here's here's the question. Nobody in their right mind, none of you would sincerely say, oh, I I want to drink from the cistern, the broken cistern. Anybody here would would say that? No, nobody would. And yet we still do it. Why do we do it? Because it is our default. It is easier to do. It is, it is, it is, it's, uh, it's accidentally what we do because it's how we're disposed. So in the same way, Abraham and Sarah are sitting there saying like, you know, this thing's not happening. And uh, I've passed menopause. You know, Sarah says, I'm in the, I'm in, you know, I can't have kids anymore. It's like maybe we misunderstood. Maybe there was something else we were supposed to do. And there's a lot of times when we as believers, we, 
we err through omission. But it's not so clear, is it? I mean, if God were saying the same thing to you today, would you be able to say, looking at the whole scope of your life, which things are being born of the flesh and which things, you know, oh, this is a faith and this one... Well, you might have an inkling after a long time, but it's not as clear as we'd like it to be. Neither was it clear for Abraham and Sarah. So they come, well, the obvious thing to do then is for you to sleep with my handmaiden, Hagar. Is that her name? (laughs) Who's an Egyptian. So, you know, Abraham's like, if I have to. So they have a child. That child is born. He becomes the heir in the mind of, of Abraham and Hagar. He's 14 years old before the promised child is born. So for 13 plus years, he is the heir. He is, he is the one. But what, what biblically say, no, actually... He is the product of human striving. He is the product of unbelief. He is the product of dependency upon the arm of flesh. Well, you think, how does that relate to us? You know, nobody here has got a promise that they're going to have a child. And Well, maybe, maybe you do. I don't know. I mean, what, is this really what we're talking about? No, this is what we're talking about. How do you drink from the fountain that brings forth the promise? Now, the context here, let's go back here, is about godliness, about righteousness. It's about behaviors. It's about obedience. Because... What happens is, is the law, people started saying to people, you know, it's, it's great that you're, you're, you're born of, of, of God and, and whatnot, but we need to go and do these things from the law to feel justified. We need to fulfill the law. We need to do these things. And we, we think, well, that's not a problem for us, so what are we talking about? But let us go back right to the beginning. It says, my little children for whom I labor and birth again until Christ is formed in you, And man, we could preach on that. Why is it that Paul is the one that's laboring for them to be, for Christ to be formed in them again? There's a a whole message behind that. But he's saying, listen, the kingdom of heaven is, is a seed being planted in you by the Spirit of God. You become born again. And the DNA of the Son of God being inside of you, and as it grows, it brings forth the image of the Son. So how this applies to us is I'm trying to be a good Christian. I'm trying to be godly. I'm trying to be nice. How many of you have tried and failed in that regard? A few of us. There's a few of you that didn't put up your hands, so I'll talk to you later. Like, what's your secret? (laughs) But I've been thinking about this a lot because... Because I'm trying not to pick on somebody, but I'm looking for some people that... <laughs> yeah. Who? Okay, Jim. Yeah, let's do, let's do Jim. Jim, come here. 
Come here. Come on, Jim. I volunteered. Yeah. Volunteered. Now, how, tell me, did, when were you born again? When I was five years old. Five years old, okay. So your parents are Christians? Yep. Okay. Now, were their parents Christians? Yes. And their parents, were they Christians? Uh, we'll go with yes. Okay. So what, what are we saying here? That Jim is the product of faith of multi-generations. Okay. And, and whether, you, whether you understand it or not, the work of grace in multi-generations puts him in a position that I was not in. Okay. The reality is that. When I was born, I was, I was born into a heathen family, occult, witchcraft, alcoholism, drug addiction, violence, I mean, controlling, dominant, ugly personalities, you know, larger-than-life figures, you know, bleh, you know, just, just, and so I'm trying to be as good as he is, but he has grown up in a very different family. I don't, how many times did you hear your mom say she was going to murder your dad? Zero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever wake up to the sound of breaking glass and cursing and threats like that? No. Did you, did you ever have that crumbling feeling like you're, you, you, you were lost and that your, your parents were going to divorce and the terror of that happening just made you feel so insecure you went into a dark, dark hole? Not once. Do you think that affects a person? Yeah, yeah probably. Thanks, Jim. Mm -hmm. so. I've, I've heard a little bit Chris Vallotton talk about this relative to uh, the other guy, Bill Johnson. Because Bill Johnson is, the, this, is, is a part of a lineage of righteousness, pastors, you know, in, in his history. And you, you cannot negate the effect of that. You cannot negate the effect of growing up in a home with two emotionally well-adjusted parents who are healthy, where there's respect, where there's consideration, where there's, you know, modeled just good living, all right? Even if they're not born again, there's, a, there's something that does for you emotionally. It empowers you. It causes you to, to be able to, you know, uh, be in control of your life in ways that some of us who are born in sin, deep darkness, you know, we had to work through some things. And I remember Chris Valentin, like, like Bill Johnson never had to deal, deal with any of the things I had to deal with, like the temptations, the, the sexual struggles, the, 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 the things that were biting at my heels for most of the young years of my Christian life. He never even had. Why is that important? Because it's very easy for us to default to a kind of Christianity that's based on historical righteousness that says, that says and what happens, and I've seen this, I was born in this, you had people who were born in these worlds who felt safe growing up in the love of two parents who took care of each other, and there was relative peace most of the years of their life, and it created an emotional stability. But here's, here's, the, here's the bad part of that, is it begins to cause you to think, 
that that's all there is. And then these guys in this world can look across at the people who are struggling thinking, well, just do it. Well, I'm, I'm really being tempted. Well, just don't be. <laughs> because to them, they, they seem to have an innate invincibility. Things just don't penetrate. They can walk by pornography, you know, like, you know, nothing. I mean, for me, as a young man and as a young Christian, it's like, you know, tractor beam pulling me into, you know, darkness. I mean, I had to fight like crazy just to keep my distance from darkness. So what that meant was I was heavily leaning into a power because I knew I needed it. I pray this really becomes clear to us because because if the church in its present state is only has only enough, enough grace to help pretty good people already then it's a statement that we're not really drinking very much from a deep well and the glory of God is it that it can take the worst of the worst of the worst and change them? Change them. That brings a transformation to their minds and to their hearts. It delivers them from deep darkness that most people have been grow- who have grown up in a history of, of righteousness know nothing about. But, but the problem in, in this is that the people... We can get stuck. We can start living in our own strength and not know that we're living in our own strength because this is quite passable. We can flow under the radar of, of, of uh, you know, what it looks like to... In fact, people who are living by grace can be walking alongside people who are living by their own strength. But because they've grown up with relative mental, intellectual, emotional health, that it looks like they're the same. But these ones are living out of the wake of something that a previous generation did. And these ones do not have that option. And so when the church starts to get filled with these people, they start to wonder, what's wrong with you guys? And the political structure of the church actually starts to be biased against these kind of people with a subtle suspicion that said, there must be something wrong with you, instead of realizing, no, there's a power at work that cannot just help the good people get incrementally better than they were before, but take the worst of the worst and transform them in a moment. Now, I I got born again. And when I got born again, well... I won't tell you my whole story, but I'll just tell you the last part. I was in a bar uh, in Grand Center, Alberta, now called Cold Lake. The glory of the Lord came in the bar where I was. I went to the next, my mom the next morning and said, I'm going to Bible college. She's like, uh, you got to change. But, but God met me, met me. Within a, a, a week, I had moved to Edmonton, was staying with a friend of hers. And then uh, in January, I went to Christ of the Nations in Dallas, Texas. And as I was down there, I got in a room with a couple of other believers. One of them was a Jim. Well, not exactly a Jim, but he was a, one of these guys who'd grown up in the church. I mean, he, he, was, uh, 
you know, he was pretty together, you know. And, uh, but there was a contrast between us because I couldn't get enough of God and he always seemed to have enough. And, um, and I, I remember he started resenting me. He didn't say he resented me, but I felt it. But one day, well, let, me, let, me, let me back up. Every prayer meeting there was, I went to. Why? Because I always felt like I was teetering on the edge of falling into a deep well of darkness. And I needed as much light as I could possibly get. And I mean, I went to every prayer meeting. I read the word constantly. I didn't read anything else. I didn't, I didn't do anything other than go to prayer meetings, go to worship. Because I, I needed the input of the life. I mean, I mean if, if I was separated from that power for even just a short, a couple of days, I felt like I was sliding into something. Him, he could go to sun, from Sunday to Sunday, no problem. His life was relatively, you know, but he was, he was resenting me, and he, he didn't tell me. And we'd get into little theological things, and, and uh, he would argue with me about, little, and they were n- nonsensical things, but one day, he came into our room, and he was weeping, and he, he began apologizing to me. And he said, he said, Mark, I'm, I'm so sorry for the way that I've looked at you and the way I have judged you. And I'm thinking, okay, what's going on here? Well, the Lord touched him. And I don't know everything that the Lord did, but he said, he said, I've been watching you for this semester. And you come in day after day, and God has been speaking to you, and the life of God is on you, and God is giving you dreams. And every time a prophet comes through town, they call your name out, and they prophesy about you, and you're going to go to the nations, and da, da, da. And I'm sitting there in the back, and I'm thinking, I am much better than this man. I, I have kept myself from sin. I have not slept with women. I have not engaged in violence or drugs or, or all of these things. I, and, and how dare you, God, be pouring out this stuff on this ignoble rascal when I have spent my life serving you? This is so not fair. How is it that he has that favor? And the Lord visited him and said, son, I love you. But you have been living in the wake of a righteousness that was established through a culture that you did not build. And you presumed that because of the the exercise of disciplines that were given to you, handed to you on a platter from your parents, that that was the righteousness I required. And he he saw the contrast that whereas he would read hours of Louis L'Amour every night, I I would be reading the word. Not because I was obligated to read the word, I needed to read the word to live, to survive. I was drawing on this well. So what Paul is saying is saying, listen, Galatians, you've been deceived. You've been deceived. You are drawing 
from a well of human strength through the law. There's an obligation to be nice, and you have the disposition to put on the smile to be nice. That is not a manifestation of this. That is something else. Does this make any sense at all to you? And why is it important? Because I don't want to be a part of a movement or a church or, or, or some expression of the kingdom that can only save pretty good people. We need miracles. We need the supernaturals. And it goes back to the very beginning. He said, that which is born of God overcomes the world. There are things that are born of God that can take anybody, the worst of the worst, and change them, transform them. And God is saying, who is leaning into me for that kind of power? If we're here, our disposition, you know, we're doing pretty good. No, we could do better, but but there's not the same desperation. In fact, there's suspicion. Like, what's these people have been saved? You know, they've been saved a couple of weeks, but they're like they're still drawn towards pornography. What's wrong with them? These people have been they've been saved six months, and they're still, you know, so selfish and self-centered. What's wrong with them? That can't they appreciate, you know, things where that have been added to them. They just take for granted that that's them and their righteousness. But that is the overflow of somebody else who leaned in in another era, in another generation. And so they don't have the same gratitude, and they don't worship the same. And they don't honor God the same. And they don't honor one another the same. And then they, they, they're, they're critical. Well, how dare he get that when I'm a much better person? And I see this all the time, all the time. Why would God use that man, I heard that just this week about a guy. I won't say who he is. Why would God, he's kind of edgy. Tell you why God wants that guy. Because that guy is leaning in to the well of life. And this guy doesn't even know he needs it. Because he's holding things pretty much together. And the lie is, if you stay in this, eventually the rot that will destroy your kids and maybe your grandkids or your great-grandkids will start to come up in the middle of these generations. Thank God it's not touching you at this point in your life. Thank God that you have the heritage you have. Thank God that you've grown up in a, a, a semi-wonderful you know, family where at least parents had general regard for one another. But the world needs this. And we can't give it to them unless we lean into it. We can't lean into it unless we really know that we need it. See, there's a chasm happening when the church sort of looks suspiciously at the, suspiciously at the world. It's like, you should be better. But there's an apostolic gospel coming to a people who are going to be touched by the depths of the glory of God. And it will bring... And the, 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 the litmus test is that it can change anybody. And this church is about laying hold of a power that can change anybody. Anybody. 
that the worst of the worst, people addicted to pornography, people who are stuck in bestiality, people who are corrupt to the core can come in and fall down and be changed. And so can people who grew up in a Christian home with years and years and generations and generations uh, before them. Because they still need to be touched by God. They still need to have goodness broken off of them. They still need to be faced with the incredible goodness of God and recognize that they're just as dirty and just as needy of that source. Yes, as the one who knows it because of their situation. Because I'll tell you, I am so thankful for my heritage. I am so thankful, absolutely. And for any of you who have that kind of heritage, thank God for it. But don't for a moment think that your goodness is anything other than filthy rags. And in fact, all it brings is pride and darkness. And you can't even see that you don't have any power at all. So that's where we need to go, the same place, the same source. That's... Thank, thanks, Jim. That is such an important piece. So I'm going to close with this. I'm going to reread the passage. And keep in mind the part I, I didn't read about the son of the, of the slave, the son of the strength of the flesh persecutes the son of the spirit. That's verse 29, a couple of verses later. My little children for whom I labor and birth again until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one of the bondwoman, the other by a free woman. He who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, but he of the free woman according to the promise, through the free woman through the spirit, pardon me, through the promise, which things are symbolic. For there are two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. And for this is Hagar, is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. And what's the rest of the verses? Let's read 28 and 29. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. So this this present hostility between that which is born of the flesh and that which is born of the spirit rages. It rages not only in the context of our lives, in the context of the larger church, but it even is a war inside of you as you are you are bringing resolution to this. And it begins with a desire that, that says, I don't want to live in the wake of anything born of my own strength. I, 
God, give me, let's pray this, God, give me a revelation that the things born of the flesh are flesh and the things born of the Spirit are spirit. That the kingdom of God is born of the Spirit. God, give us a connection and a fresh faith to lean into you for miracle-working power. Even in the context of our worship, Lord, we, we enjoy the worship and, and sometimes we get, we get lost. We think, oh, our musicians are so wonderful, but it's not the wonder. Uh, and our musicians are, but there's something else in the atmosphere that makes it beautiful. And it's not the musical notes and it's not the harmonics of it. It is the presence of God. And the natural mind leans into the natural, but the spiritual man leans into the spiritual. We are coming closer and closer to a manifestation of the power of God. But God's eyes are looking. Who wants it? Who really wants it? Who will really value this? I believe we're meant to be part of that. I believe it's coming closer. I believe things are about to fall from heaven. And God is looking for candidate peoples. Father, we want to be part of that generation that is a generation of Jacob that seeks your face. Mm. Maybe we can close now. Maybe the worship team could come and And Ben, can you think of a song? You usually have uh, 20 songs in your head. Maybe there's a song we could sing that could seal this, this desire. Some of us are, are wondering, why is it so hard? Why, why is my development so slow? Do you know why? Because you're leaning on the wrong power source. You're leaning on disciplines. You're leaning on human desire, emotion. You trust your, your intellect. You trust your innate capacities that are already there. And what takes so long is you getting to the place where you realize it's not enough. It's not enough. And as soon as you realize it's not enough, your heart turns towards this power base that can do anything. I have a question for you. Are you ready to be a part of revival? Do you know what revival means? It means a group of very imperfect, broken individuals who need constant 24-hour attention, who need to be in your homes night after night, under your counsel, you mothering them and fathering them and loving them and taking care of them from, from Monday to Friday. Is that the kind of life you are ready for? We need new believers, if for nothing else, to remind us of the power that's required to change a soul, of the love that's required to change a soul, of the family that's required to bring a child from birth to maturity. And it's safe and it's wonderful and it's nice to have a bunch, a room full of adults a room full of well-adjusted, emotionally stable people. But we discover the ministry. We discover the love of God. We discover the power of God when we are confronted with need that is beyond our capacity.
And the unsaved need a place. They are waiting for a place. They are waiting for a place to call home. They are waiting for mothers and fathers who will take care of them. And God is saying, I want to breathe on the Alberta. I want to breathe on the souls of men and women who are broken in sin. But where will I send them? Where? To whom will I send them? Because if we, if we, if they come here, if we hope that they'll make it along by getting what we get, well, you know, two Sundays a month, occasional call and encouragement, tell them, just read your Bible more. I'm busy with my lifestyle. They're babies. They're children. They need 24-7 care and attention. And God is looking, not just for those who want a notion of revival, but who understand the cost of revival. So, Father, we want to say today, bring us to the place where Isaiah was when he said, Lord, send me. Oh, God, help us realize that our homes, our dinner tables, Our love, our counsel, our fellowship, our friendship is going to be required for revival for a generation that is lost because more are the children of the desolate. So, Lord, today we want to say, hover over us, prepare us, incubate us in this truth that will prepare us to be ready for harvest that we would be ready for harvest. In Jesus' name. Can we say hallelujah? Hallelujah. Can we say hallelujah? hallelujah? I believe the body is getting to a place where we're ready. Which means this. They're coming. They're coming. They're coming. And this is a word to say, are you ready? 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 We say yes, Lord. Amen. Father God, thank you for the call. Thank you for the challenge. Father, we know this is your heart. So we say yes to you in the name of Jesus Christ. We say yes and amen. We receive it, God. We choose to live it. We choose to fight for it. We choose to shift our lives. We choose to change where we need to change. Father God, we choose to say yes in Jesus' name. Amen.